Welcome to Not Just a Shooter 1.4. We are here to talk about the Western Conference Finals. And joining us are Reggie Miller and Chris Weber. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm kidding. Do not hit mute. We are not doing that at all. I apologize profusely. Hello and welcome to Not Just a Shooter 1.4. We are not dead. We did take a longer than expected hiatus while I had a couple minor operations, but I've made my way back to an actual basketball court and shooters gotta shoot, even if it means my dad rose to my form today. I do not fully That's recall tough. much That's of what tough. we're about to discuss. Yeah, that was that was uh that was humbling. That was humbling in the in the real uh by the real definition of that. Humbling. It's an overused word. But uh that one was humbling. Um yeah, I don't. I don't fully remember some of what we're about to discuss because I was uh, on some really strong painkillers. But that's why we have uh, the man you heard interject there, Bonsi Chillips, the Grand Villain, Alex Cook. How you doing, Alex? Doing pretty well. Um, I'm excited that there was finally a competitive conference finals game, and that yeah, the uh, the Rockets are, are putting up a fight. So yeah, it turns out I, I didn't actually miss that much. <laughs> it's kind of wild. Um, but before we dive in. We are brought to you, as always, by Gordon Fall of New York Life Insurance. Uh, make sure to check out his website, gordonfall.com. That's G-O-R-D-O-N fall.com. Uh, this podcast, we are going to jump into the Western Conference because there is an Eastern Conference Finals game tonight. Um, and we are trying to record this before that starts. We will do a very quick Houston uh, Gold State games one through three synopsis, which is going to be there were some blowouts. Uh, Alex, there were some blowouts. Yeah, there definitely were. So the Warriors kind of had a commanding win in game one, not especially, um, you know, extravagant by their standards. And Houston responded. They took game two in a similarly decisive fashion. And then, and then the Warriors absolutely blew Houston out of the water. Lit them on fire. Back in Oakland. Yeah, it was about as bad as a, as a blowout can get in the NBA. Worst in Houston history, 41 points. Um I, I was actually semi lucid for that one, and, and um, and that was uh, that was quite something. I mean, the way that Golden State uh, was playing in the second half, you probably were questioning your lucidity a little bit because that, that, when I when mean, Steph Curry hits an eighteen point quarter in the Oracle, I think everybody does. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a religious well, experience and a, a, a bit uh, otherworldly at times. Yeah, his third quarters are amazing. I remember somebody on Twitter saying. Uh, that Durant is the type of guy that can give you eight points a quarter forever, and Steph Curry is the type of dude that can drop 20 in the third and just totally just destroy the other team. Um, it's two very different 30, ways of getting about going about getting 30 points. Yeah, exactly. And Curry had a similarly dominant game four. He scored 17 points. He did the you know little shimmy down the court. He sure did. And Houston wound up battling back for the second time in game four and stealing a win in Oakland, um, regaining home court advantage for the rest of the series, turning it in a, into a de facto best of three series, heading back to Houston. And yeah, the Warriors in game four and in game two, both of their losses, they scored um, just over one point per possession in game two and just under one point per possession in game 
uh, four. In game three, they scored 1.3, so that's more of what you think when you think of the Warriors. And how many points per position in the fourth quarter of game four? Or do we are we even able to calculate that? Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's probably got to be around half a point of possession. Honestly, I think they scored 12 points in the quarter. It was brutal. And... It was real brutal. Especially, and shocking after that third quarter. Uh, but Oh, yeah. I mean, with that type of you know, performance from Steph in a 2-1 series, I was thinking, okay, Houston's pretty much done for here. But Houston's defense never really gets enough credit. Um, even Harden know, was playing a little D in that game. I mean... Yeah, even Harden, you know, he had two consecutive uh, pick-six steals near half-court, which that, was... Those do um, count. Absurd. Yep. Absurd. A, l- a little Trey but, Burke action for you. Yeah, exactly. And the rest of Houston's, I guess, main uh, core, even though they're down to a seven-man rotation, they have, I guess, three main players who are playing heavy minutes is Paul, Ariza, and Tucker. Chris Paul, amazing two-way point guard, came up huge in fourth quarter of Game 4. P.J. Tucker looked like Dennis Rodman in Game (laughs) 4. I think he had four points and 16 rebounds. But... Golden State's offense really struggled. Houston got some stops down the stretch, and they clawed back to pull even the series. Your Michigan card's getting revoked for going with uh, Rodman over Ben Wallace. I would just like to point that out. But See, I feel like just the way that he was playing in terms of just cleaning the glass, he wasn't as much of a uh, rim protector, I feel like, as Big Ben. Okay, that's fair. But, that's fair. I'll give you that. He, yeah, he is more. I don't know. Robin was more perimeter D and the insane rebounding than rim protector and the insane rebounding. Uh, yeah, and well, PJ Tucker is a very strong, um, very well built, uh, undersized five. I don't think not, not a rim protector. Really approach Ben Wallace in that in that category. Yes, no, not, not at all. Um, I do not mean to besperch Ben here. Uh, I just love not. bringing him up. Uh, One of the goats. Yes. Let's let's stick to talking about those Pistons, um, or or continuing to talk about the Western Conference Finals, uh, yeah, because um, so game game four was just I mean I I think we still got to talk about it because it was it was one of the most insane basketball experiences I think I've had in terms of I mean because you've got these like these huge narratives that people have attempted to attach to the series and some of them are very silly, um, but you're seeing like the you know, our super team's good argument get played out and then, like, have, like, a counterpoint hit in the fourth quarter of this game, <laughs> it feels like, uh, where, you know, we're talking about we haven't had a good playoff game uh, since the second round. A couple weeks, yeah. And I, all of know, a sudden, we, we, we find our way around really, to one, and this is a, and this is a series. Yeah. It was it was an amazing game. I think the biggest story of Game Four was that Andre Iguodala was hurt. That uh, does Golden make a State big was difference. Forced to rely on um, Nick Young, namely, who was <laughs> minus 14, 12 minutes, and you know those those numbers kind of have a lot of noise to them. But that's pretty, I mean, understandable. He w- did seem to be a liability on both ends. That one passes and, the sanity it, test to me. Yeah, and in the game with margins that close, you know, came down to the last shot. You know those those minutes really hurt, especially because Andre Iguodala gives you a whole lot more. I mean, he's a great defender, switchy, and I think part of the problem with Golden State on offense in Game Four and kind of one they've tended to struggle is that Durant has sort of commanded the ball a little too much. They've kind of been um, content with having, you know, 
just defaulting into isos and aren't really playing their Jogo Benito that we've come to know and love mm. as much. And Delicious Curry is definitely one of those guys that moves around, that makes creative passes, that really opens things up on offense. Iguodala is pretty similar, but um, Kevin Durant can kind of revert to his bad habits if left to his own devices. And in a series when ISO play is so huge, which is kind of a fascinating tactical dynamic playing out. Yes. Um, you know, in the age of analytic ball, seeing ISOs become the preferred strategy for both teams in such a high stakes series has been really interesting. But, you know, that's that's the type of ball that Houston plays. It's not the type of ball Golden State plays. If you have a wide open, you know, fast flowing offense, um, you, you know, you're better as Golden State. I think a big thing for the Rockets, too, in game three, they they were really sloppy, missed a ton of close shots, turned it over probably twice as much as their average. And that leads to, you know, great Golden State offense. In game four, they were a little more disciplined, even though they weren't, you know, super efficient on offense. And they really made Golden State work for their baskets. Yeah, one of the things I like vaguely remember from uh, the beginning of the series is uh, a post-game press conference uh, that I was watching where someone asked Mike D'Antoni uh, whether he was okay with them playing so much isolation. Uh, and it was like, have you have you watched Houston this year? And James Harden did score 41 points in that game. I don't think offense was necessarily a problem for Houston there. Um, no, and people like to really rag on Houston style, but... That's yeah, just because it's, it's not always play. aesthetically pleasing, but they had a historically good offensive season. And it's with Mike D'Antoni doing something that he is not... You know, ISO ball was not his reputation. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. You know, Phoenix Mike D'Antoni would probably be super upset um, with the type of stuff that he's seeing now. Yes. I know that Carmelo Mike D'Antoni and Kobe Mike D'Antoni didn't work out so hot, even though they were ISO reliant superstars. Houston does run a lot of spread ball screen. That's really what they did with Harden. And that's something um, that we should talk about for a second, because I feel like that is what like when we talk about iso ball or when people bring up iso ball and to talk about the series, almost all of these isolations are coming after a screen. And, yeah, and that's really the big thing. The that, switches. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it, this is, this is such a matchup based uh, game today. And especially in this series, this is a, and just a fascinating uh, series worth of matchups. Because you have, really you know, close. you have like one guard on each, you know, the the offensive star Harden on one end and and Steph Curry on the other, who can be picked on a little bit on the other end, but can also make some kind of crafty plays on that end. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Harden coast to coast steals. Curry gets active with his hands too, and then pair that with Chris Paul and Clay Thompson, where those guys play tremendous on ball and off ball defense. Uh, you get pretty fascinating before you even get to the front court and all the different things. <laughs> for what you can call a front court these days and, and uh, all the different things that have been done up there. Yeah, and both teams are kind of a mirror image of each other. Like you said, they have the superstar on offense who's an MVP caliber scorer and kind of a defensive liability. And I think that's more to um, Golden State's detriment because they've really been hunting Curry on defense. Not necessarily yes. because he's an extreme liability, but kind of trying to wear him out a little bit. Um, sap his legs for the you know fourth quarter, so he hopefully misses some of those threes. Like yeah, yeah, make him injured in briefly. Four. You know. Yeah, Steph Curry always seems to be not at a hundred percent when he's missing shots, but then the shots go in and he's fine again, and then he starts missing again. He's hurt. Yeah, it's, it's just it's hard to tell. It it's hard to keep up. It really is. Um, but anyways, you know, both teams uh, play one through five, spread the floor, play five out basketball. Um, 
Golden State does a lot more off-ball action than Houston, but they both play um, heavy three-point shooting, have you know guys that can create with the ball in their hands, two real main playmakers. And well, I guess Golden State has three, but and then on defense they switch everything. They can they try to guard one through five. Their centers can guard guards. I mean, I was impressed with what Clint Capella's done. Absolutely, one switch on to guards. Um, Draymond Green, obviously uh, an elite one through five defender. Even though Houston's been going small with PJ Tucker at the five, they've been getting away with it uh, because Golden State also goes small. So they're similar in that regard, and they both switch everything on defense. So it's really come down to superstars on each team hunting those switches, um, getting those screens, and you know trying to get Curry onto Harden. Harden, um, you know, can really make things happen with the ball in his hands when he's being guarded by a guy like Steph Curry as opposed to Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson. Um, same with Chris Paul. And on the other end, you have Kevin Durant shooting over littler guys, but you don't have necessarily as much of that Warriors brand of, of you know, beautiful cuts, off-ball movement, yes. passing. And, you know, it comes and it goes. Like, they, they looked great in the third quarter of Game 4 when Steph was hitting all those threes. You know, he was moving without the ball. He was driving on hard closeouts and kicking and you know, when Durant kind of gets going, it's just, okay, let's walk the ball up the floor and get the ball to Kevin. And I don't know if that's necessarily Golden State's best option moving forward, even though he's a guy that can score 40 points in a game. But, you know, it's interesting. It's it's interesting to see that both of these teams, which are so analytics-oriented, have devolved into one-on-one basketball. I mean, this kind of uh, provokes a few questions, but the first one, and I'm curious your thoughts more than mine, because... Uh, I've been on a lot of drugs. Um, are you enjoying this series? I mean, I would say for the most part, yes. I think games one and two Good. were not terrible. I was going to be afraid um, if you said that. they no. weren't that close. Game three was like a game where I turned off in the third quarter. I'm like, okay, yeah, Houston's just going to get um, absolutely Man, crappy. I'll, I'll be honest. I watched every second of that. There's a part of me that loves what – I mean – there's a big part of me that loves when the Warriors just go full on. We are going to beat you for 48 minutes mode. And, yeah, they're, they're and Javale McGee hit a like a turnaround rainbow over somebody. You know, you get to see some wild stuff at the end of Warriors blowouts. I mean, no team has ever been better offensively at their best than a Kevin Durant Warriors team. I yes, mean, I, I would say the, the all these guys. Like, and you add Kevin Durant to the mix, and it's just unfair. Yeah, I mean, the biggest difference between these two teams and the reason that I think the Warriors will ultimately prevail is that only one of these teams has Kevin Durant, and he tips the scales. There's only one Kevin Durant, and I think he's the second-best player in the NBA behind LeBron James, just and, in terms of, you know, he's a top-ten player on both Yes, Kevin Durant. He's a seven-footer who handles, like, a, a lead guard and scores, like, almost nobody in history and gets so many deflections has become such a good rim protector be, despite being so skinny and yeah he's a he's a video game create a player you know people say that about stuff it's like well you can't actually shoot from 40 feet off the dribble in 2k because i won't let you go in like won't let you make it but kevin durant's the guy that you make okay seven feet tall gonna put the passer sliding up to 100 gonna put the shooting slider up to 100 gonna put all of these things up so yeah he's just a supernatural player, and yeah, Harden and Curry kind of cancel each other out a bit. Thompson and uh, Paul kind of cancel each other out a little bit, but yeah, one team has Kevin Durant, and the other team's lining up PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza against them. 
Can't stop the Durantula. I refuse to acknowledge other Kevin Durant nicknames unless they originate like from the China. Slim <laughs> yeah. The Slim Reaper. Is yeah, okay, okay. That is the other one. The Slim Reaper, Durantula. But the, the Slim Reaper is the difference in this series, I think. Um, so, yeah, that, that does lead to who do you think wins this? I predicted Golden State in six before the series. I know we didn't record a podcast before the series. I think I might have tweeted it, but maybe not. But I still feel pretty confident in Golden State in six. Iguodala's injury and his potential limitations in game five, along with Clay Thompson maybe not being 100%. And not in the way that Steph is maybe not 100%. But like <laughs> no, like Clay Thompson like really got rolled up for. on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, who knows? I mean, Iguodala doesn't play, then I think the Rockets have a great shot. If only because he's so key to what they've done ever since they've gone on this run of, you know, four elite teams in four seasons. And you replace him with Nick Young. You also give Draymond, like, make him play basically the whole game. And or you're, I, you're you know, experimenting with Jordan Bell or Looney. I mean, Looney's been good and Jordan Bell's been decent in flashes, but Bell had his uh, lapses. Uh, when he's been put in, and it, it's it's tough to learn on the job at at this stage of the playoffs, oh, absolutely. And especially and in this series. It makes series. sense why they when they wouldn't play David West or Zaza Pachulia or JaVale McGee for the same reason that the Rockets wouldn't play Ryan Anderson. Is you just can't have those guys as liabilities potentially guarding some of these guards. Yes, you cannot um, have those guys in uh, switch and ISO ball, uh, which I prefer to ISO ball at least in terms of accuracy. Um, switch, switch and switch and iso ball and to that point kavan looney has been like surprisingly pretty solid i've been impressed with his ability to try you know keeping paul and harden in front of him as best as he can and he started game four for the warriors i don't know if they'll do that again in game five but yeah he's even though it. he's basically offensive non-entity it's like okay your job is when they try to pick at you you gotta you gotta put up a good fight and he has so it'll be interesting to see but i still think golden state in six um Although, who knows? It legitimately is a compelling theory. And you kind of mentioned how these grand meta-narratives about warriors and competitiveness and, um, you know, the nihilism of having a dominant team <laughs> kind of played out yeah. in real time and how silly that is. I know I'm guilty of that at times. I kind of complained about it when people do it with Russell Westbrook. But I know we kind of disagree. I feel like the Warriors have made the NBA a little less compelling because of how head and shoulders they are above the field, but I don't know. Um, I just think I guess the Rockets have shown that there's reason for hope. Yeah, and I, I also, I mean, first of all, I do think that they are beatable. They have been largely unbeatable since they got Kevin Durant in playoff games. I, I will happily grant that. Um, but I think their games can be interesting because either they are unexpectedly close or they are putting on an absolute show. Um, and they, there are, there's still a very strong tier of compelling teams. You know, we've, we've done a lot of postmortems on some very interesting teams with some very good players. We will get to more of those later, um, of two very intriguing teams. And, um, I, I just, I like seeing those teams take shots at, at Goliath. And, and I also remember like, you know, San Antonio, New Jersey, or, Los Angeles, New Jersey, uh, the the finals of my childhood yeah. before the the nope. Pistons finally knocked off the Nets uh, with Jason Kidd uh, and and kept them from being the Eastern Conference gatekeeper. Like there there there's always been you know a dominant team in the NBA and a bunch of 
a bunch of other less strong but compelling teams taking shots at them. And, you know, except when the Lakers and Celtics managed to kind of keep things incredibly balanced throughout the 80s. But other than that, it's, it's, it's pretty much all been just strings of wins by either the Celtics or the Bulls or the Lakers or the Spurs. And I don't know. I, people tend to look I, the, back on those like the they Warriors, were very compelling because I think they are. Yeah, the thing with the Warriors, though, they won the most games of any team in NBA history. They were one of the top they did do three that. teams in NBA history. They Bull, did bring Bulls did it, too. Some weird, Bull, some weird stuff. Bulls did it, too, after LeBron. adding Dennis Rodman to Scottie Pippen and, and Michael Jordan. But then the Warriors added a former, a recent former MVP with like MVP potential. They who did just take it to another level. Lost a heartbreaker. But here's the thing: and at least that's new. At least we got something yeah, different here. Right. It's like, hey, what happens if we take Kevin freaking Durant and we put him the on whole, the arguably the best team in NBA history? It's something out of NBA 2K, but it's something I would do in NBA 2K. There's a reason people like doing this. The results are freaking awesome. Like that ge- that game three was more... just crazy. I like I like so... I I can't hate a game like that when a team is playing basketball at that high level. It helps that the Pistons are bad okay. now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if, I, if that I helps, if thing. that helps level out this argument, it really does help that the Pistons are bad. And I've become like this just general NBA fan over the last several years. So. I, so yeah, going back to game three, I didn't. I turned that game off. I mean, it's like watching Alabama watched every you know, second, Georgia Southern or whatever. But, nah, I think this um, is way better than that. More fun. I could I, more fun. The thing is with the Warriors and the whole nihilism of oh nothing matters because the Warriors. That was justified by last postseason. They lost one game in the entire playoffs, which yes. tied for the best ever. And that one game came in a game where the Cavs hit a record amount of threes for a finals game. A team with LeBron James, one yeah. of the best players ever. You're going to get and it done every once in a point, while. At that point, it's like, okay, what what is the compelling, like, competitive angle but to the this? Very previous real- year, they had played a historically great finals against that exact team, and now we're probably not going to get that this year. I will admit that, but we are getting an extremely interesting Western Conference Finals that yeah, so I'm the, just going to choose to like think of as the you know the finals because these are the two best teams. And oh yeah, we're still going to get to play like Warriors versus LeBron. I will I will watch LeBron play Sisyphus against the Warriors because I also find that immensely compelling cuz LeBron can damn near do it. LeBron might not make it there, but anyways, yeah, so I mean that's Warriors- that's true. We, we he has to get there first. The Warriors uh, lost one game in last season's playoffs. They've lost four games in this season's playoffs. So they're worse. Better. The Cavs are worse. The Rockets are way better. It is more compelling and competitive. I will give it that. And, and the Celtics you know, are are seven. unexpectedly Steve. good. I mean, I I don't want to delve too deeply into next podcast, but uh, at least in the context of the super team argument, you talk about a team that could very well piece that together quickly. Boston is in there because of the guys they have developed, how many guys they have locked up, and the fact that they get Kyrie and and Gordon Hayward back healthy next year, presumably, um, and then are able to. I mean, Jason Tatum is twenty, which is obscene. Um, and then you also have you know, the LeBron free agency potential this summer. And if you get two super teams, then that's just called you have an amazing finals, and that's all. Oh it, yeah, and an amazing Western Conference Finals. 
I would personally like to see LeBron join Houston. I feel like that would make Houston another historically elite team, just like Golden State. Yes, I would love to see that too. That would be extremely compelling, but we'll see. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, we'll see how the rest of these games play out. And any way that they go, rest assured that there will be plenty of takes on the state of the NBA and the state of you know, the existential crisis that is or is not Griffin yes, basketball. Yes, and I will try not to read many of them. Um, I will apologize in advance for any that I may make. <laughs> me, me too. Um, all right, I, I believe you actually did give your prediction on this, which was Warriors in six. Uh, I, I have not actually thrown one out yet. Um, I'm going to go with Warriors in seven because I'm a little wary of the Iguodala injury, and if he misses two games, that prediction slip into Houston. Uh, because, yeah, I th- I think it is close enough here that 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 injury might just be able to swing things, and then all of a sudden we're really done with this super team argument. So that I might, oh, I, yeah. might I might be rooting for that. I might be rooting for. I'll that. be eating a lot of crow on the whole. Oh, nothing matters. It's the Warriors eat RPs mindset. Yeah, so I I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that. I I, I also wouldn't mind watching Golden State play more basketball. So I'm pretty good with however the series goes. I'm very much looking forward to watching the final three or two or, yeah, at least two more games of this. Uh, We will be back after a quick break to uh, talk about the teams that uh, passed away a long time ago at this point, but we haven't talked about it yet. You're an MGO blog reader, so you've probably already met Gordon Fall. Yes, the guy who comes to all of our events. Yes, he is named after Gordy Howe. Yes, Wayne Gretzky knows this and says hi, Gordy, whenever they cross paths. Seriously. Gordon has stepped up to sponsor this podcast, so we should tell you what he does. Gordon is a licensed agent with New York Life Insurance. He specializes in holistic policies for individuals with long-term goals and short-term financial situations. He would like to expand that roster now in anticipation of opening his own shop next year and would rather work with fellow lifelong Michigan obsessives. If you're starting out in your career, growing your family, or beginning to think about retirement, you should talk to Gordon about crafting a plan for you. Visit GordonFall.com to start the conversation. That's G-O-R-D-O-N Fall.com. All right, we are here for the uh, the postmortems of the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. The Jazz uh, were four to one victims of the Houston Rockets. 
The Pelicans were also uh, gentlemen sweep victims, uh, them obviously to the Warriors. We are going to start with the Utah Jazz, uh, whose uh, star player still makes me sad. Um, Donovan Mitchell is uh, tremendous and was not drafted by the Detroit Pistons, uh, who instead picked Luke Kennard, a white guy from Duke. But anyway, um, he looks like he will be very, very, very good for a very long time because he is only 21 years old. I swear I'm not bitter. Um and Don't worry, also, he's gonna leave. He's gonna leave Utah eventually. Yes, like, that's 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 the Detroit. good thing that so, I that will hold okay. to. But the thing is, it's he's not gonna come sign with Detroit as a free agent. So I I can only well, take yeah, so much I mean, joy we'll, from that. We'll never have him. We, we did. It's, it's we missed our one shot. We had it. Um, but you know, anyway, the Jazz are an, an incredibly good defensive team. Could not quite put it together on offense this year. They are built uh, for now, really, around uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, you've got your elite scorer and your elite rim protector. They're both young. They're both locked up for the next four years. Um, also got Joe Ingles locked up for the next four years, which is uh, pretty looking pretty good. Deal. Yeah, looking yeah, pretty good. Jay Crowder a, for a couple seasons. A deal that goes down in dollar, dollar worth. Crazy. Um, and yes, and uh, they they have pretty much the exact same team locked up. Uh, with one lingering question, which is uh, what to do with uh, Derek Favors, who is kind of a man who may be losing his place in the game a little bit, uh, at least at the cost that he played at this year. He was paid $12 million and was sort of a situational small ball center. Uh, a, a very good one and valuable one, but uh, that's that's pricey. Um, so uh, what do you think Utah should do there? I don't think Favors will be back. I think a team will give him a deal. I think he's probably decent enough to start at center. And you said that the game is kind of moving away from him. I think that's true only to the extent that it's moving away from lineups like him and Gobert together. Yes. So that was a great lineup in the Oklahoma City series because Favors was able to... Because that was a series out of the 1990s. Own, own Carmelo Anthony in that lineup, which... Man, Carmelo Anthony, you're getting owned by Derek Favors in the playoffs. Mm. Just retired, dude. Mm. Don't don't take that money from Oklahoma City. But anyway, that was our obligatory Favors. mellow burn of the podcast. Yeah, I've got one in. Yeah. Mellow's burn and uh, Donovan Mitchell Pistons complaints. So yep, we're yep. We're checking off boxes those. today. We especially we yeah. Um, but yeah, so Favors as a backup to Gobert, he's not worth what he's going to get. I think the Jazz with Ingles and Crowder and the emergence of Royce O'Neal, a rookie who played overseas after playing um, college ball in America. Gets he, thrown into the fire when Ricky Rubio and some other guys are hurt. Big time. And played well. Scored uh, two games with seven points each uh, um, in the Houston series. And He'll get an opportunity Utah, potentially too because Dante Exum is maybe not a guy that they're going to want to bring back either. No, and I think, you know, with Alec Burks, he's making too much money, but he'll be sticking around. And he played decently in relief of Rubio, who didn't play at all against Houston, which, I mean, the series is pretty much over at that point. Absolutely. Um, Even though Utah, to their credit, did steal a game in Houston, which against a 65-win team without your starting point guard and you're playing a rookie out of position at point guard, winning on the road against the best regular season team in the NBA that that season. They got they got a fun one at least out of their out of their one. Yeah, yeah, and same with New Orleans, who we'll be discussing in a minute. Yes. But Mitchell did hit a wall a little bit over the last three games. He was twenty one for fifty seven shooting, 
kind of similar to how Ben Simmons hit a bit of a wall in their series loss to the Celtics, which also kind of speaks to how impressive Jason Tatum has been in running through all the walls that have been put up with him as a rookie in Boston. We'll see if he keeps doing it. But um, yeah, next podcast. Um, Yeah. The the same thing about Mitchell Mitchell, also this year, like this is the first time he's been the featured scorer. Uh, yeah, at least yeah, since college, uh, because oh, because he was not at at, at Louisville. No. Um, so I, I, sorry, since high school, um, where I presume I, I just assume almost everybody in the NBA was a feature scorer in high school. Uh, so um, that's that's unusual to kind of make that leap in your rookie year in the NBA and on a playoff team. Uh, and and Mitchell did it, and I'm and I'm still not better. I'm just not. He he was inefficient in those last three games, which were yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> boy, but he still scored well. And in the third quarter of the elimination game, he scored 22 points before suffering yeah. like a minor injury that knocked him out for the rest of the game and pretty much gave the game to the Rockets. And that was a bummer. He was pretty much single-handedly keeping their offense afloat. He was scoring on a good good defenses in both rounds of the playoffs and. Long arms, good shooter, um, great playmaker with the ball in his hands. Very smart player, especially for a rookie. Like you don't see guys with that kind of advanced level of knowledge of how to score. Yes. The game seems so slow to him uh, for his age. And you know, with Utah, they have this core together. They were second in defensive rating in the regular season. Credit to Gobert. Credit to their wings. Credit to Mitchell and Rubio. Also, Quinn and Snyder. Yeah, Quinn um, Snyder. I mean, they, 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 it should be mentioned they have a very good coach in place. Yeah, so, um, and then they were also just inside the top 10 of effective field goal percentage on the offensive end. So you look at those two things, you look at the fact that they're pretty much going to be back together and have an off-season worth of chemistry. Um, Mitchell's going to have a, a sophomore leap, which, you know, who knows how good he's going to be next season. It's, it'll be really fun to watch. But Utah, I mean, they made it to this this far for a reason. They I mean, it was clear to pretty much everybody that Houston and Golden State were going to meet up in the conference finals. So Utah put up put up a good fight, and yeah, even though um, their offense struggled, they acquitted themselves well in that series. Yeah, I, I mean, between between Mitchell going off occasionally, at frequently, uh, in in very exciting ways, and and Joe Ingles turning turning heel and and hitting a ton of three. I mean, they they were they at least put a up a shooter. fun fight. I don't know why teams didn't guard Joe Ingles in the playoffs. It's like don't help off of him in the corner on a on a pick and roll on the on the short on the weak side. Like, there was there were some strange do, defensive strategies against him, but he, uh, he credit to him for murdering them. Um, and meanwhile, we should move on to the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, who have so, uh, one very massive decision to make um, and one transcendent player on their team. Uh, so that, you know, the transcendent player is Anthony Davis. Uh, and the question is, do they keep DeMarcus Cousins alongside him? Uh, Cousins, another guy who is, uh, not quite on 80s level, I don't think as a, as a game changing player, but can be that at times has been close is sometimes a bit of a headache and also plays center. And unfortunately, I think what this playoff showed is that New Orleans ideally the best version of this team, I think, happens with Anthony Davis at center, and that that puts him in a bit of a bind. If uh, you've got Demarcus Cousins as one of your assets, 
I think the biggest question that they should have, you know, instead of, oh, is this best for them moving forward? Oh, is this the right move? Oh, what is he going to look like after an Achilles injury? Which is to say bad, probably. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's a big thing. I mean, who knows? He might be Elton Brand moving forward, which is just tragic because of how good he was, how long he toiled in Sacramento, how he got hurt just before making the postseason for the first time. But he'll get a big payday from somebody. Yes. I could see a desperate team throwing a bunch of money at him. And off of that Achilles, I don't know. But to me, the decision comes down to whether Anthony Davis wants him or not. Because the Pelicans, every decision they should make is what does Anthony Davis want us to do? Because we want him to stay here for his entire yes, they, career. Yes, they have to do the Cleveland with Braun. What any small, I mean, you know, Cleveland with Braun is the extreme example, the canonical example. Um, but, uh, when you're a small market team, or really just... And you have a player like Anthony Davis or Jonathan... You you do anything you can to hold on to them, because otherwise you will lose them as soon as their contract goes up. Um, Just ask uh, Pacers fans about Paul George. Anthony Davis can make more money from the Pelicans than he could with any other team, but at a certain point, you know, he'll get to a point in his career where he's like, you know, I haven't won a whole lot. I have, you know, taking a minor pay cut and still making $40 million a year or whatever. And if, like, um, Los Angeles is on the table and you start figuring out potential endorsement stuff, a lot of guys, uh, you know, don't necessarily think of that as taking a pay cut, and quite reasonably so. Or if, you know, he feels like, okay, New Orleans can't get me enough help to get me to where I want to be. I'm going to go find my help on my own. You know, that's a, it's a pretty reasonable. And LeBron has done that once. He might do it again. Or you go to Miami after they give up on Hassan Whiteside somehow and uh, don't have to pay income tax. Um, yeah. And, oh, hey. He could, but, go, he could go to Houston and do that. I guess yes, the Warriors want to recruit Anthony Davis when that time comes. And I'm like, okay, that would really make it unfair. But yeah, that, that'd be evil. Um, but yeah, we should di- we should discuss a little bit more of the uh, the other Pelicans too because they did kind of take on this this very interesting uh, for, final form this season where they they really revolve around Anthony Davis, Nikola Mirotic as, uh, playing off of Davis as the second big man, but one who can really stretch the floor. And then Drew Holiday being this like bulldog at both ends. Drew Holiday was a beast in the playoffs. He was so good. Um yeah, Houston, which is good for them because he's locked sorry. into a big deal. <laughs> sorry, New Orleans. New Orleans, a fascinating team, played at the highest tempo of any team in the NBA over the whole season, which includes their time with Cousins, so two traditional centers um, on the floor. At the same time, they still got up and down more than any other team in the league. And before and after Cousins got hurt, they had one of the best offensive ratings in the league and one of the worst defensive ratings in the league. So their efficiency margin was just at about one, but they were way towards the end of the uh, scatter plot. So a fun team. I thought they um, really had kind of a coming out party in the playoffs. They blew Portland out of the water and Portland was pretty, pretty dang good. Um, Holiday, 27 and six against the Warriors against that backcourt and against the type of, I mean, Kevin Durant was guarding him a lot. Like that's, that's pretty good. Playoff that's, Rondo that's, was a thing. Playoff Rondo. So Rondo is going to fly under the radar because of the Cousins decision, but he's a free agent. It's a little older. I would imagine that he wants to stay with New Orleans considering, you know, the chemistry he's built there. Yeah. Um, you know, double-digit assists in the playoffs. That's that's Rajon Rondo right there. So, I mean. Yeah, double-digit di- double assists, single-digit points. That, that's yep, Rajon Rondo. Got him. Passing up open layups so Anthony Davis can dunk it and average twenty eight and fifteen like he did against the Warriors. But it's fun to watch. 
it is fun to watch. They're a very fun team. And Anthony Davis, one of the best three or four two-way players in the league. You know, you think Jonas is on that tier, Kevin Durant's on that tier, LeBron's on that tier when he's actually exerting energy on that end, conserves it a lot in the regular season. But, you know, that when uh, push comes to shove, LeBron can play some pretty fantastic defense. But, yeah, Anthony Davis, a very singular player, kind of the best unicorn, I think, you know, for how that term's used with Porzingis and Jonas and these guys that are, and I guess, Durant to a certain degree, um, although he kind of, his rise kind of predated that term. But young, young first playoff series win could be potentially paired with the star that might not be a star because of injuries anymore. I think they're going to have one of the more interesting summers of, of any franchise in the league. I really do. Absolutely. I mean, in these two franchises that we just talked about, two of the more interesting ones in the league going forward um, in, a, in a pretty stacked conference. But I, I'm very intrigued about both how they handle the summer and about how they kind of take form going forward uh, because these are – these are the potential challengers to the to the Warriors to the dynasty and or the, yeah, I mean, the potential Rockets uh, co dynasty that might emerge alongside it. Uh, I think the Western Conference kind of breaks down into a couple. I mean, the Warriors are on a tier of their own, but yes. let's say the Rockets are one point five, and then there's like a pretty bloated and good middle class. I mean, Denver didn't make the playoffs. Pretty much every other Western Con- or every other Western Conference team, the other six. Um, Utah, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Portland, Minnesota, and San Antonio are all yeah, pretty I mean, good. And, and we're talking about Portland, who, which would be like a t- probably a top four seed in the East. Uh, oh, I mean, they were the three as, seed in the West. Yeah, as, as a team that team was, was in, like, and now we're talking about them as a team that was, uh, in, not, not was, is in kind of a bind going forward. Uh, I mean, like, they so they might be one of the less interesting teams. Uh, um, and yeah, the Western conference is excellent. Um, it has an excellent championship series, uh, finals to be decided. Uh, we will get more into that in the next podcast. Uh, very quickly, uh, Pistons fired Stan Van Gundy a little bit too late. Oh, we just have to get that out there. Yeah. We, we We don't have to talk about it. Podcasting at the time. See, to me, I think they should have kept him on as a coach for one more year to finish out his contract. Nah, that's while giving just the front office though. responsibilities to somebody else. It is awkward, but at the same time, he said that he's willing to do it. Uh, but he's I so. He I, I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of easier to say after you've been fired. But uh, <laughs> and, and and he was such a disaster as a GM. Was making more disastrous moves. I mean, he made uh, you know his his magnum opus disaster move in his final season to make sure that the Pistons are locked into basketball purgatory long after he is gone. I think that was a Tom Gore's move. I really do. I think that came from, he was, you know, a big LA guy, new Blake, I'm sure socially. Um, and that, that kind of trade doesn't get signed off by ownership, especially with a GM. That's always owners are important. Don't, don't do a coach GM. Just don't. Yeah. And and don't and don't make trades for aging superstars in hopes of chasing the playoffs. Like that's pretty much the dumbest thing in you can do. In the East. Just so you can like what's the point? It's just so you can lose to LeBron or really lose in the finals. <laughs> well, in um, yeah, it's man, the Pistons. I, it'll be interesting to see they hire. I mean, I'll I'll talk myself into it and I do think they'll make the playoffs next year. I I'm willing to I'm willing to st- uh, Commit to that. I'm way more Unless interested in the general manager hire than I am in the coach, coach hire. 
that that I think that's uh, that's where I'm at right now because this is a long term uh, wait for this era to end so you can rebuild the era. Well, and the, the thing is too is um, coaching not that bad, honestly. I mean, you've got oh yeah, Stan McGundy's a good coach. Stars. Well, I'm saying for whoever's coming in, hopefully yeah. a different coach, separate coach and GM. The coach yes. gets um, two guys who are all-stars, including one former All-NBA player. You have a guy who I think is a pretty decent point guard. I know that he had a poor season last year and was hurt for most of the season. But when he was healthy and playing this season and haven't totally given up on uh, Reggie. Full season with the Pistons. That's fair. I, you know, I haven't given up with Re- I haven't given up on Reggie. I think if he's we're, totally we're Michigan healthy, football fans, we're well versed in having to like you know hold on to some faith here yeah talk ourselves into stuff which by the way uh, also Michigan basketball fans. into winning it into more than yeah more than nine games yeah. i'm not gonna do it alex that's that's a conversation I, for another I, day. I think this is our cue that we need to end this podcast um but uh yes um the western conference is interesting we will be rolling out another one of these soon i hope um on the eastern conference uh to be decided on a release date but uh yeah Soon for that uh, prediction, LeBron's going to be discussed. Uh, that that much I can pretty much guarantee. Uh, the rest will find out. That'll be the next Not Just a Shooter. Thank you for listening to this one. Thank you for listening to the Not Just a Shooter podcast. I am A. Sambender along with Alex Cook. We are, as always, brought to you by Gordon Fall of New York Life Insurance. I'm still not bitter. Still not bitter.